You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to be talking about that setup of the overhead squat assessment. We're going to review the overhead squat assessment. Last time, the episode right before this one, we talked about the anterior view, how you view that overhead squat assessment from the front. So today, we're going to be looking at the lateral view. We're going to look at the side. So it's very similar when we look at the setup for this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get right in front of my client. I'm going to stand there, have my client stand in front of me. I'm going to say, uh, can you put your feet straight ahead? And then I have my feet straight ahead, and I sometimes will say, pretend that uh, I'm on a pair of skis. You're going to stand on the same pair of skis facing me. Our feet are going right into each other, pointing straight at each other. Great. So feet are straight ahead. Second and third toe, generally. The foot is neutral. The ankle is neutral. The hips are in a neutral position. Arms will go over the head. And uh, like I said, some people ask which way the palms go. Do the palms go forward like you're holding a rod? Can I actually hold a dowel or a rod or a mobility stick? Yeah, you can. Uh, some people, arms go up and they have the blade of their pinky and the blade of their, their hand forward. And they say, well, is that the right way to do it? Yes, yeah, so they are both right. They are both correct ways to do it. Ain't nothing wrong with it. So we could do either or. And then the question about shoulder position and really when you do palm forward with the arms overhead or the pinky forward, that's usually just radial ulnar supination and pronation. So it doesn't quite matter. All right. Now, when I get them set up, they're ready for the overhead squat. I say, look, now I'm going to squat. I want you to watch me and I will go into a squat. And uh, something I didn't answer last time, which is the depth of squat. How deep do you want them to go down into their squat? And I usually just say down to chair depth. Go down to about a chair depth, which is somewhere between 18 and 20 inches. You might have a box or a bench that is of that depth. And I might even use that as a cue to have them touch their rear ends too. And then let them know that I'm going to remove that. And I want them to maintain that same depth when they squat. So I'm not asking them to go parallel with their thighs. I'm not asking them to go butt to grass. I am simply asking them to go down into a chair depth. Great. Now, once they're done, I've shown them the squat. I have them perform the squat. They are doing, uh, we've already done the anterior view. Now I'm just going to move to the side. I'm not asking them to change positions. I can, you can, but it's much easier for me to just have them reset after I watch them from the front, have them reset. And now I move to the side. So I can move around them. Now, if you're limited by space and things like that, certainly. And of course, having them turn 90 degrees right or left, that those are not wrong. But for the simplicity of the client's sake and realigning them, I just set them back up the way I want them. And then I walk around them. So another thing, too, that I do is I like to walk around the client's so I'll watch from the front, I'll watch from the side, I'll do the posterior, and then I'll just have them squat and I will watch at different angles and I'll kind of shark circle them looking at different phases. So if they're trying 
to make one part of their squat look good when I'm when I'm when I'm circling they don't really know what I'm looking for so they're not really focused on too much they might be focused on one thing which allows another compensation to rise to the top so uh right now though just focusing lateral view watching five squats from the side minimum I also like to have them change speeds because sometimes they'll go really slow to try to make the squat look really good. Sometimes they'll go really fast to cover up compensations. But when you have them move from fast to slow and a little bit slower, go a little bit faster in changing their tempo, now they're so focused on the speed that they're less focused on how they're performing the squat, and that allows things to be seen. So in the overhead squat, you're going to look for three primary things. You're going to look at the area of the shoulders. So the arms are overhead. You're simply looking to see if their arms are falling forward. Number two, the lumbopelvic hip complex. What you will see is either, well, neutral, so they can maintain neutral, or the compensations, their low back arches, or their low back rounds. They go into an anterior pelvic tilt, or they go into a posterior pelvic tilt. So that's the lumbopelvic hip complex. There are two things that you'll see. Likely more often you'll see the, the low back arching, but you, you do see posterior tilts as well. And then finally, you're going to look for an excessive forward lean in the torso. So what we like to have is a parallel tibia torso angle. So if the torso pitches forward 45 degrees, then I want to see that same kind of shin angle. So we're looking for uh, we're looking for parallel lines between the torso and the shin. Now, let's get into addressing some of these things. What if I see the arms fall forward? What am I looking for? Well, first of all, make sure it's the arms falling forward. Sometimes when the arms go overhead and people squat, they look up. So when their torso shifts forward, their head nutates back. And when that happens, relative to their head, it looks like their arms have fallen forward. So just make sure they maintain a neutral spine. Their head stays neutral. They're not looking up or their head's not nutating or nodding up and down as they squat. Just keep it neutral. And then it's easier to see if the arms fall forward and if they do. Oh, something else to be aware of, which you may not see from the side. Sometimes people's arms when they go overhead, they're going to bend at their elbows. Now, the bending at the elbows isn't actually what's the issue. The bending at the elbow is a, uh, a, a, a visual cue to know that they are probably lowering their shoulder. So as they go up into abduction or they go into flexion as they reach all the way overhead, when they bend their elbows, usually that means that their shoulders are starting to adduct. They're starting to come a little bit closer to the midline. And that takes the stretch off the lats. That takes the stretch off the pecs. That takes the stretch away from the shoulder complex. And we're trying to put it on stretch, see if they can maintain it, see if they have any compensations going on. So if their elbows bend, then they're likely lowering their elbows down towards the midline of their body a bit more, and they're getting out of that complete overhead position. If that's the case, you got to be able to check it out, cue them again. If they can't maintain over the head or their arms fall forward, here's what we're going to do. First, we're going through the corrective exercise continuum. So we're going to start with self-myofascial rolling. 
we're going to roll two things. We're going to foam roll a big dude and that big dude's little brother. So the lats, latissimus dorsi, lats uh, means back, uh, means widest, dorsi means on the back. So it's the widest muscle on the back. And the lats little brother, the, do you know what the lats little brother is? The teres major. The lats little brother is the teres major because everything that the lats do at the shoulder joint, not at the LPHC, but at the shoulder joint, the teres major does as well. Internal rotation, adduction, extension, does all of those things at the shoulder joint. So lats, teres major, pectoralis major, and pectoralis minor. Those will be the, the major muscles you'd focus on doing self-myofascial release to. Now, here we go. We're going to look at something else, too, is the thoracic spine. Though not a muscle, foam rolling the thoracic spine can also provide a bit of mobility to, to that area. And that can be a reason the arms fall forward is immobility at the thoracic spine. So that might be something that you'd want to, to do your foam rolling for as well. Now, what do we stretch? All those muscles. Lats, teres major. And if you stretch the lats, you're stretching the teres major, pec major, pec minor. And as your arm goes into a little bit higher, a little bit more abduction, as you pull the arm back behind you, you start to get a little more and more pec minor along with the pec major. And then some thoracic mobility that you can do as well. That might be things like uh, um, uh, open books. I like open book exercises for rotation. You can do cat-cow exercises, and then we can get into the activations. Activations. So after we've gone through our SMR, which is our inhibiting techniques, we go through our lengthening techniques through static stretching is the means at which we do that. Then we can do some activations, 10 to 15 reps, focus on the eccentric. You can do positional isometrics, but we're focusing on repetition, full range of motion. Things like scaptions, things like YTAs and combo number one. Combo number one might be like a bent over position or NASM sometimes will, will have you kind of uh, prone on face down on a ball and they'll do a row. So it's a high row, a transverse plane row. It's kind of a rear delt row. External rotation or lateral rotation and then a shoulder press overhead and then undo all of that. So then it would be a lat pull down, internal rotation, and dive into the pool when the arms go forward. So that would be a combo number one. Thoracic extension, thoracic rotations, you can add back in there. High rows, internal and external shoulder rotations. All of these are fantastic. 10 to 15 repetitions, good form, integrated exercises now. So we move in from the uh, self-myofascial, so the inhibition, the lengthening, the activate, and the integrate, which is now we try to get the whole system moving and speaking together. So I like um, like uh, bottoms up kettlebell carries for this. So if I'm having a hard time, now here's the thing. If I can't get all the way overhead yet, that's not a great exercise. But if you, after going through your, uh, your previous exercises to loosen things up and you get the arm overhead, then practicing stabilizing with that bottoms up kettlebell carry. I like doing bottoms up because it allows you to strengthen 
your rotator cuff. It You can't do a heavy weight because you're doing a bottoms up kettlebell carry. That means you're holding the handle and the, the, the heavy part of the kettlebell is straight up. So you're just trying to balance it while it's completely upside down. So it's not too heavy. And it's something that when we grip and we squeeze harder with our hands, then it also creates stabilization around the rotator cuff. And that can be helpful as well. Other things you can do would be like a squat to row or squat to scaptions. All right, cool. So that's a lot of exercises that we've talked about, but that's just the first thing. Now we can get into the next compensation you might see. It's the lumbopelvic hip complex, the low back arching. The low back arching, also known as an anterior pelvic tilt. We're going to go through the same thing. We're going to inhibit, lengthen, activate, integrate. How do we inhibit? We foam roll. That's self-myofascial rolling. And here are three things that I want you to think about doing uh, when you foam roll. We can foam roll the rectus femoris. So that's the front of the thigh. That is a hip flexor. A hip flexor is also an anterior tilter of the pelvis. The lats, because it pulls up on the posterior part of the, the pelvis, can anteriorly tilt the lats. And the TFL, same thing, anterior tilt of the lats. Well, those are our major ones, but why, why would we foam roll those and not the major hip flexors? And the reason being is that we can't get to the psoas or the iliacus. We can't get to them with a foam roller. They are deep to our abdominal, to our guts. They are, they are between our guts and the front part of our spine. So they're going to be a little bit hard to get to. So we're not going to foam roll those. We don't suggest foam rolling those, but we do suggest stretching them. So when it comes to lengthening, after we do the self-myofascial rolling, we're going to lengthen. We're going to do all of those muscles we talked about before, the rectus femoris, the TFL, and the lats. But now we can add in the kneeling hip flexor stretch or the standing hip flexor stretch, which is a, which are going to also get the, the iliacus and the psoas. Sometimes you hear it referred to as an iliopsoas, which is fine. Like, I don't have a problem with it because they they have the same joint actions. They just have different uh, origins or different proximal attachments. The distal attachment, they have a common tendon. They attach to the same place. So they do the same joint actions and they have the same common tendon that goes into the same spot on the lesser trochanter of the femur. So when people say iliopsoas, I'm not one of those guys that are like, well, they're two different muscles. Why would you call it the same? Um, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're stretching one of them. We're, we're stretching both of them. All right. So activate, we're going to get into activations now. So I'm looking at this with the low back arching. Remember, it's what we're talking about. So activations, 10 to 15 repetitions, keep it slow, focus on the eccentric or the stabilization, depending on what's going on. We've got anti-rotational exercises. We're going to focus on core stabilizers for this. So anti-rotational exercises that could be like pal-off presses, uh, that could be just anti-rotational holds. I like lying um, supine with one dumbbell in hand, the other hand I have over my, ab, uh, my abs, and just single arm fly to the side. It's a lot less about a pec exercise. It's a lot more about keeping your core tight so as the, the dumbbell flies away from your body as you're lying down face up, 
it's going to start to pull you over and you have to be able to stabilize that and not move. That's what stabilization is. So it's a great core activation exercise. You don't have to do heavy weights. Keep it relatively light. Focus on core stabilization, not focus on that being a pectoralis exercise. Things like dead bugs, heel taps, double leg heel taps, uh, bird dog exercises, planks, which planks can be quite progressive. So I put it pretty low down on the list because a lot of times people just jump to planks. My wife is one of those. She needs some core stabilization. She's got the anterior pelvic tilt. And so to go through these and then she does planks and she's like, it hurts my back. And I could say something like, well, you're not doing it right, but that's not very helpful could cue her better, but really it's just far too progressive of an exercise for her stabilizers. And so what happens is her back starts to arch and those the, the vertebrae kind of start arching in the back and they press into each other and it creates pain. And so taking away some of the, the plank exercises or regressing those plank exercises to hands on a, a bench, hands on a treatment table, or a straight arm, like a push-up position, a straight arm plank might be a good exercise where they can stabilize their spine. But if they go down onto the forearms, it's just very progressive for a lot of people. Another thing would be great would be bridges, 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 a bridge hold, uh, bridge repeats, single leg bridges. They love bridges. Get do, do bridges. I like bridges a lot. Integrated exercise, cable squat to row, a band reverse lunge to balance while doing a chest press. These are all great uh, integrated exercises for people that have a low back arch because it forces you to integrate everything and stabilize your core while you're doing a lower body and an upper body exercise. All right. Well, that's anterior pelvic tilt. And one that's not addressed very often is the posterior pelvic tilt. A posterior pelvic tilt, that's the one I refer to as a scared dog position. You're in a pelvic tucked position. And uh, we're going to look at what we need to potentially inhibit, lengthen, activate, and what integrated exercises we can do. So what would you foam roll in a posterior pelvic tilt? I want you to think about it before I say it. Posterior pelvic tilt. Why not anterior pelvic tilt? I would do erectus femoris. I would do TFL. I'd do lats. What would I do? in a posterior pelvic tilt. Well, what muscles pull me into a posterior position? Maybe get up and do it. Now let's talk about it. Adductor magnus, posterior fibers of the adductor magnus. If you've ever done squats and you felt like the inside of your leg, but on the posterior side, and you're like, oh, my hammies are so sore, but then you go to stretch your hammies and you're like, that's not it. But when you pull your knee to your chest, you're like, that's it. That's your adductor magnus. Uh, potentially in that scenario, being um, synergistically dominant to the glutes and the hamstrings. So adductor magnus, posterior tilt, hamstrings, posterior tilt, and then potentially piriformis also creating that posterior pelvic tilt. So what do we then lengthen? Well, we're going to lengthen all the above. So adductor magnus, the hamstrings, and the piriformis, but you could also look at the abdominal complex. So if I'm going into a posterior pelvic tilt, I'm also going into spinal flexion. Well, notice I'm not inhibiting my abs, so I'm not going to foam roll my belly. I'm not going to have a client foam roll their belly, but I will have them statically stretch that. 
so they can go into abdominal stretches along with those other muscles. All right, good. So what about activations? Well, if I, uh, if my spine is rounding, I should really focus on something that's extending my spine. So spinal erectors, the gluteus maximus, and your hip flexors. <gasps> Rick, did you just say strengthen your hip flexors? I thought we were never supposed to touch the hip flexors. Never exercise the hip flexors. That's really what you need to do. A lot of people have extremely weak hip flexors. And hip flexors need to be activated. The posterior pelvic tilt is a clear indication that somebody's abdominals might be a bit overactive and their hip flexors might not be as active as they need to be. So erectors, glute max, and hip flexors. All right, what's an integrated exercise we can throw in there? I would say the, the ball on the wall squat into an overhead press. And that just allows you to have some support in the spine to practice movement of your pelvis to create a neutral position. And then as you press overhead, also put some, some pressure onto your spine, and then you have to stabilize that. So it's a good integrated exercise that provides some support, but also creates a challenge. Okay, so we've talked about arms fall forward. We've talked about an anterior pelvic tilt and a posterior pelvic tilt. We've got one more that we're looking at, a lateral view overhead squat assessment. I wanna see if there is an excessive forward lean. Are they leaning forward excessively? Does their squat look like they're doing good mornings? Does their squat look like they're doing deadlifts? And if that's the case, then this it's a squat assessment, not a deadlift assessment or a good morning assessment. If, if we can't do the squat, I want to know what's limiting that, what's keeping us from being able to have a relatively upright torso position, not straight up and down, certainly not. But if my shin goes forward 20 degrees, I want my torso to go forward 20 degrees. I don't want my shins to go forward 20 degrees and my torso to go forward 70. That's not a, a, a proper, it's not a parallel line between our tibia, torso, ankle. So what do we pay attention to here? Well, most of the issue isn't actually coming from the hips and hip flexion. If we thought about it, we just look at it, we go, oh, there's a lot of hip flexion there. There's a lot of hip flexion. So we need to stretch the hip flexors and work on the hip extensors. And that makes a lot of sense, except it's not the most common reason. It might be a reason. How do you find out? Well, what happens is a lot of times it's the lack of mobility at the ankle joint. So if I can't squat, if I can't get dorsiflexion, so I can't get my knees to go toward and even past my toes a bit, depending on somebody's shin length and foot length, you've got a really long foot, you're probably not going to get your knees to your toes. But the knees go forward to, and for most people, past the toes, while the heel is staying on the ground. And if you can't do that, you will squat down until the knee goes as far as you let it. And some people just squat like this because they think they're not supposed to let their knees go past their toes, which is not true. Your knees can go as far past your toes as long as you can keep weight evenly distributed on the ball and the heel of your foot. All right. So if I can still maintain weight in my heel and my knee can go forward, then I can do that. I can, I can make that happen. If people don't like knees going over toes, then they must hate lunges. 
because the back leg, its knee is really far over the toe, right? There's nothing wrong with the knees going beyond the toes. And a lot of people know that, are familiar with that now, but it still really needs to be debunked as long as you keep the heel on the ground. Great. So evenly distributing the weight on the foot, the knee goes forward. And you realize that if the knee can't go forward and you keep getting down into the squat, then your backside's not lowering anymore. It's just the torso continues to collapse on top of the thigh and you've turned that squat into a good morning. What do we need to pay attention to here? We really need to focus on, on mobility at the ankle. So we're going to SMR the calves. It's possible there are some hip flexor things. How do you find out? Well, you can have them put something under their heels and have them squat, like a two-inch riser or a 45-pound plate. Have them squat. And did that make their squat look more upright? If it did, it's a foot and ankle issue. And if that's the case... Foam rolling the calves, stretching the calves, activating the tibialis anterior, and then creating stabilization around the core and the hips. Such as the gluteus maximus in order to maintain more of an upright position in that squat. And then an integrated exercise. Again, you could be a wall squat with a ball uh, to an overhead press, same exercise as last time. Like you can incorporate those to it, but you want to do the tibialis anterior activations. I like to do heel walks. Um, you can do isolated band dorsiflexions as well. Just remember the tibialis anterior is also an inverter. So when you dorsiflex, invert your foot, dorsiflex and invert glute max exercises, bridges. I love hip thrusts are great. Um, Single leg bridges. So again, by doing that, you can focus a lot on the core stabilization as well. But here's the thing. If you do a core stabilization, if you do a core, uh, sorry, if you do a single leg bridge, and then you start to feel that more in your hamstrings than you feel in your glutes, then that's synergistic dominance. You want to back off that, go back to the bridge exercise where you're feeling it more in your glutes and only allow yourself to start doing more of the single leg bridges when your glutes can now be the primary muscle activating while doing that. Hamstrings aren't wrong. And a lot of times people feel it may feel it more in their hamstrings because their feet are too far away from their backside. But if you can get your feet closer to your backside where your heel is in line with the front of your knee, the back of your heel in line with the front of your knee is a general good uh, position to be in. Uh, I do have a client that tends to flex the knee a bit too much and uh, and then I have to have him move the hips forward. Also in bridges, sometimes people bridge, they feel it a lot in their low back. And that's just because they're lifting up too high. Usually they're trying to arch their back. So just check that neutral position, particularly for people where you see their low back arches and be aware of that. All right. Those are the four things you're going to look at. Lateral view, overhead squat assessment. You're looking to see if the arms fall forward. Lumbopelvic hip complex, do you get an anterior pelvic tilt or a posterior pelvic tilt? An anterior pelvic tilt is when your back arches. A posterior pelvic tilt is when your pelvis tucks, kind of like a scared dog position. And then the final one is going to be the excessive forward lean. And remember, you can test that by having them put somebody, uh, put somebody, <laughs> put uh, plates underneath their heels. And if their squat is more upright, it's probably more of a foot and ankle issue. 
All right, y'all. Hope that you found it helpful. Uh, like, subscribe, leave a comment, share with your fitness friends and family. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so by reaching out to me on email at rick.richie at nasm.org. Or you can hit me up on IG at dr.rickrichie. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Thank you so much. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.